0: Have you felt lonely? Left out? Less than? Have you ever wanted to blend in with the wallpaper so that you were not noticed? Do you know how to connect with other people who fill your heart rather than drain your soul? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you are definitely going to relate with Cherry Strange, who turned that loneliness into helping over 700,000 women redefine their worth.
1: Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham.
0: With me today, I have Cherry Strange. She is a published author, national speaker, visionary of She Yearns Ministries, and she is also the mum of eight children. Welcome, Cherry.
2: Thank you for having me. It's good to be here.
0: I love your name. It's interesting that you are spell it as Cherry, but it is pronounced Cherry. And how did that happen?
2: You know, I don't really know. My parents originally named me Cherie Javon.
0: Okay. And
2: they're from Oklahoma. I have no idea what they were thinking, but <laughs> Uh, They ended up calling me Cherry all all of my life. Well, that's interesting.
0: You are the mom of eight children. So give us a little background on that. Are they all uh, homemade children or adopted (laughs) children? No, we're we're a mix. All right. Tell us a little about that.
2: When I was 19, I was a history major. And so one of the days of class, uh, our professor told us about the orphan crisis that was happening in China and about the one child policy and what was happening to most of the girls that were not wanted. And so I was walking around campus with a young man. And I told him, I said, Hey, you know, when I get married, I want to do something about that. And he was like, Okay, you know, but 15 years (laughs) later, we did. Oh, my word. Yeah. So we had a couple of, of biological kids. But I think I was We decided nothing else could happen until I finished my dissertation, uh, getting the Ph.D. And so I did that. And then we decided it was time. So we went to China and and got a got a newborn uh, infant. And while we were there, we were with some other families from the U.S. who were getting special needs children. And some of their special needs were so minor. We would never think of it that way. So a couple of years later, we signed up and got a little uh, eight year old girl, almost nine. And she had a heart murmur, which we thought we could manage. My husband is a physician, so we felt like we could manage that with the other three. But when we got her home, she, she had a lot of deficits just from the, the experiences she had had and the experiences she had not had. And so uh, she's, she's got some pretty serious special needs uh, to this day. And, but then uh, we, for whatever reason, decided that we thought we ought to do it again Um, But China program had kind of shut down. And so we couldn't go. So we went to Ethiopia with our adoption agency and then their infant program shut down because we were just going to do one. But my social worker said, Cherry, I think you would be so good with a sibling set. And at that point in my life, I was just buried. There's no more bandwidth. And I just said, no, I already have a sibling set. I have four at home. And she said, I just think you should, you know, be willing to explore that option. And so sure enough, that's what we did. And those kids have been amazing. So we adopted a sibling set of four from Ethiopia. And I think the boys, they're twins. They were four at the time. And the oldest girl was uh, nine. And we've had them about 11 years.
0: I can't begin to imagine the challenges, but you sound like the type of person that you met each challenge.
2: You don't really have much of a choice. You you can ignore it. You can bring in a nanny or something like that. But yeah, you know, that just not wasn't our style.
0: Now you had to have a degree in educational psychology. Have you used that at all in raising your children? And did you have time <laughs> to your education as well as uh, teaching your children?
2: I think it it's kind of holistic. You know, m- most of my degree was on learning theory and how a person comes to know information and put those ideas together and think through things. And so that's main that was really helpful especially with the special needs daughter because she she did not know how to process anything. And so and she didn't speak English. So I, I would say that was a huge challenge. So when we thought about adopting four more who were just normal, you know, no, no issues whatsoever and they just couldn't speak English, I was like piece of cake. <laughs> You know, even though there's four of them, it's not going to be anything compared to what I've already been through. Right. And it wasn't. They were delightful. They were absolutely, we laughed a lot. And I always say, you should live with someone who does not speak English, at least for a while. It's just really good experience.
0: Experience or a teaching tool?
2: Um, it probably was both. I mean, I love to teach. I've always wanted to be a teacher since I was a little bitty. So it's probably just a natural outpouring of my own uh, giftings and personality, but, but yeah, you have, you know, part of, part of when you bring an in orphans into a family, they don't know how to do family. They don't know things. Right, a lot of things right. that my kids, they, that you don't, you have to always be mindful of what they don't know. So if you are not patient and, and a good teacher of that, it's not going to go as well, so and I do think it's been very, very beneficial. You know, I've used it at home. I've taught at a couple of different universities. I taught at Baylor. I taught at another university where my close to where my husband was working, and and I really enjoyed those experiences. So, but bringing it home has and using it here has probably been uh, the most gratifying. Yeah.
0: What were the ages of the other children that you adopted? Because you said some came with with some baggage.
2: Right. Uh, So my oldest biological daughter was, I think, eight. I think she was turning eight on the airplane over. And uh, then my next daughter was five. I think they're about two and a half years apart, somewhere five or six, somewhere around there. And then uh, the baby that we got was just at a year old. But she they had not done anything with her. So she I didn't want to miss anything, you know, as a mom. Uh uh And I know by a year you miss so much. But when we got her, she couldn't even set up. She I didn't miss I didn't miss anything no and in fact at two so she's she was not delayed in any way you know with the disability she was just delayed developmentally because no one had done Uh anything with her so I didn't miss anything and she's been a joy.
0: Isn't that interesting and and did she relate to you like immediately like obviously you shed love on her all over the place. Did- yeah,
2: you know, people people ask me things like that. They'll say, did you just love them the first moment you saw them?" And I think it's easier with an infant because that just feels normal. I mean, mm-hmm. it's really a lot of give on the parent part when you have an infant. So I think hers was the easiest adjustment in terms of parent-child relationship. But the other kids, uh, it, it just always felt like the neighbor kids who never went home oh, for a long goodness. time. Because they don't know you and you don't know yeah. them and you yeah. don't speak the same language. You don't eat the same food. You don't smell the same. You don't do anything the same. And so there is a, a period um, where you, it just, you just don't seem to gel that well and you have to forge that path and you have to really uh, give a lot to older kids. And so but you know what? It works, you know, it, and we, there's no handbook on this. No you know, kidding. Yeah. You, you just have to, you know, buckle down and, and really be discerning about what to do. And so I do think the preparation that my my husband is a, a specialist, but he's also a generalist. He has two uh, medical degrees. And so I think that helped us so much on the uh-huh. medical side. Uh-huh. But then I have a PhD in education and learning. And so I think the combination of that, we made a good team.
0: Do any of the kids want to follow in your footsteps?
2: And one of of my, my, my daughter who we adopted first, that's the, the, was the infant. She will be a senior next year. And so she's already thinking about what she wants to do. And she's wanted to be a teacher for a long time, but she's, she's also pulled by her dad and and he wants her to be a nurse. Mm. (laughs) So (laughs) so she doesn't know yet, but she's got the tendencies of nurturing Mm -hmm. uh, honestly more than I do. She's, she's a very good nurturer. So I I hope that she uses those uh, skills to do that. You know, my other daughters who've graduated, they're all in medical. (laughs) One's uh, in medical school, one's going to PA school, one's in nursing school. I will say this, that um, one of my daughters, the one that's going to go to PA school, uh, she's writing a book right now, a fiction book. And my other daughter that's once that was the first adopted one, she's also writing a book. So I have had my influence.
0: No kidding. That's, that's, oh, I'm glad that you shared that. That's, that's awesome. Now with all these kids around you, I want to talk to you now about your loneliness. Because you are busy, you're educated, and yet there was a time in your life when you felt extremely lonely. Was that prior like in high school, or tell us about that, how it started, and why do you think?
2: I've always been a very shy person. i'm I'm pretty small, and um, when I was young, I was the youngest, and there was a pretty big gap between my only sister and I. And so I found myself alone a lot of the time. as your family goes through things, you know, I, I just was very isolated, and I didn't talk about it to anyone. So, uh, through high school, I just found myself more in the corner. I mean, I was a cheerleader, but at the same time, that doesn't just, that does not demonstrate your emotional health. You know, you can put on a face and I think that's what many people do. I I don't think there's anything, you know, unique about me at all, but I think it goes way, way back to the very beginning, but it, but I carried all that baggage to college and uh, just kind of continued the process um, at, the, at that time. But I also think that I had some I had some understandings that just weren't true and I didn't know they weren't true. And and that had to do with how I viewed myself and um, and how others viewed me. But I also had some misgivings about uh, God. <laughs> so I, I just really didn't get it. Um, at all. And so when I got married, uh, I married someone from my university, and he was Mr. Everything. He, he could he could walk down the street and get a, a $200 reward, you know, just for, oh, look how good he walks down the street. And, and so his top student there, uh, he didn't even graduate from high school. He just went straight to college, was the top student at college, was the top medical student. You know, I mean, he's just super, super brilliant. And when I, when we got married, it was more like, well, what do you see in her? <laughs> you know? oh, I, I mean, that's the, that's the kind of attitude I got. And, you know, back in the day, I, I wouldn't say it's like this now because I'm not there. But back in the day, uh, to be in medical school, you were somebody. And, you know, to be a doctor, right, right. they just kind of pour into you that you are kind of a God figure. And you, everybody else should kind of follow whatever you say. And that's who I was married to. And so when everyone is telling you that, well, you start to believe it and act on it. And that did not go over well at home. (laughs) So, so, but, but, but yet my tendencies were to just, to cave, you know, and then it wasn't, uh, he's a wonderful man and, and, you know, he has not stayed in that same place. You know, we we all come from places that we're glad we're not there anymore, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and uh, that one is, is his perspective. This one is mine. I just, I just found myself completely ignored. I mean, we would literally be in conversations and I would not even be spoken to. I, I would not even be addressed, you know, and and this went on for years. We were probably married about 10 years. And so it just, not that those, those things were happening to me before, but when we went to medical school and started that journey, it just completely multiplied. It, it caused me to get to a place where I, I just... I didn't know what else to do. Well, I mean, because what do you say? What can you say to someone? Because it seems the problem is you. Right. And so you don't talk about it. You just, you just hurt on the inside. And, and finally I decided, you know what? Well, I don't, I don't know what to do, but I could just be an average girl. You know, (laughs) I could just be an average Christian girl and no, I, nobody can take that away from me. So I kind of made some adjustments and just decided, you know what, maybe I can't compete with that. and Maybe I can't do X, but I can be I can be average you know? and, and that will be OK. And so those are just some coping things that I did. I'm, I'm not saying they were the right thing to do. It's just where where I found myself. Because I, I didn't, I didn't know where else to go.
0: Now you mentioned at one point that you are going to show the audience how to handle the naysayers and the finger pointers. How did how did you handle it? First,
2: started uh, moving in a in a healthier direction. I, I think I think my main problem was that I didn't understand that the way I perceived people and the way they perceived me really didn't have any any weight on who I actually was as a person. I don't think you know that when, when you're young. Um, some people are, are just blessed with confidence and security. I was not, and so I had to find it. And I didn't find it till probably my 30s. Um, and I'm so glad, I'm so thankful for the journey because now what I'm finding is I am not the only one. I mean, half the population right now, we are the loneliest population on record. Wow. And and so uh, and um, a majority of people and this is a secular study. This is not something that's, you know, on a fringe um, website or something. But most people feel as if they've been left out, if not some of the time, all of the time. But the numbers are just staggering. And so even the CDC is on board with this. It says loneliness is a real problem. It's on the same level for your health as as substance abuse and diabetes. And so if they're thinking that this is a problem, I- I'm clearly not the only uh-huh. one. And so one of, one of the things that I have found is there's this theory that, and I think Facebook actually uses it. That's why we only see like 150 people on our on our scrolling. There's this theory that you can only handle so many relationships. And so you if you look, if you think of it like a target, like you're aiming at a target, uh, the, the bullseye are your inner core people. OK. And, and you right. can fit from one to five people in there. And that is it. That's all you have room for. OK. And then you spread huh. out and you put about 15 people in the next one. And those are the people that you can tell your dirt to. OK. But <laughs> but no more than 15. And that includes family members. OK. But then you scoot out to the next uh, realm and that's about uh, 50 people or so. And those are your Work friends, your acquaintances, people that you might see socially, but you know you don't know them well enough to ask them to go pick up your cousin at the airport. Right. I mean, you you don't you're not those you're not on that level. And then there's everybody else outside of there. And so what I have found is that I try to put people in the wrong circle who never belonged there. And so I might bring someone in way too close that really had no business being there. And so that has really helped me. I mean, I understand it's a theory. It it doesn't have to work every time. I mean, what am I supposed to do? There's 10 Uh people in my immediate family. Who's not going to be in the inner circle. You know, that's not going to work. Right. right. So my inner circle and my next level probably blend because I just have so many people who are, are intimate with me um, just by the nature of our family structure. And so, But what I have found is you get outside of that and I tend to bring people in too close and that's where problems start. So or I keep the wrong people out that I should have brought in close. And so it's really made me more discerning about the relationships that that I engage in. I don't just happen upon friendships. If we're if our kids are the same age, that's fine. Or we're in the same, you know, um, athletic club or uh, whatever. You know, you're traveling together a lot, whatever you're doing. That doesn't make them a close friend you know, necessarily. And I just have to be a lot more judicious about how I choose who I am in a circle with and who I bring in. Because we just, I think we get ourselves, we get our feelings hurt for being left out or uh, someone saying something bad about us when they're really not a close friend. And, And we don't always realize that. We take it so personally and we are hurt by it where we need to take a really good look at who we have brought in close and decide, is that reasonable or not? And I think that's been really helpful for me.
0: Well, my wheels are spinning. As you are talking, I am thinking about relationships, of course. Mm-hmm. And if I'm relating, everybody is going to relate to what you are saying. That's obvious. You explained it so well. I never really thought about it. The way you've just explained it. So I thank you for that. We are going to take a 30 second break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about your book, because this is this is the this is the guide that is going to help people answer all these questions that you have already raised. And I'm looking forward to it. We'll be right back.
2: Carol Graham would like to show you the
0: path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast paced memoir, Battered Hope. She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another, gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering, or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never, ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. It has been so exciting to listen today to what Cherry Strange is saying, because everything she is talking about in relationships, I am relating to and if I'm relating I think that our audience is relating so I really thank you Cherry what you have shared and I know you've got a lot more to say especially about your book and I love the title Can You See Me Now tell us about that and how we can address these issues that you have brought up and I believe you're answering those in the book is that correct?
2: I'm trying to.
0: Okay. I am.
2: Okay. So the, the book is, Can You See Me Now? Good News for the Lonely Left Out and Less Than. Because I think that just sums up most of us. Mm. <laughs> we felt that way. I, in fact, right. when I meet women and, I, and they see the book or they ask me what the title is, they, I can see on their face they understand. Huh. And, and it could be even be from a very outgoing sort of sanguine type person. These are common experiences that we have. We just didn't know how universal they work. And currently, the timing of this message is so perfect, because it is such a need. And I my hope is that the book is it's set up in doable chunks. It's a 75 day journey, so that a busy woman can get through it you know, and make progress and kind of note her progress along the way. You don't have to sit down and read 14 chapters, let you just, know. Let
0: me just interrupt you for a second. Is this also mm-hmm. a memoir or is this strictly? No, okay. okay?
2: it's not a memoir. So what, what what I what I try to do is um, I write for um, a Bible app called YouVersion. It's it's a worldwide app with a gazillion people on it. And they had me write what you would call a devotional, And that's just uh, uh, an encouraging message Mm -hmm. from something that might come from the Bible. And so I've been doing that for about seven years and I've really liked the style because it's short with sort of an action point and I can write about anything because I'm an educator. And so um, I've really enjoyed doing that. And so I I thought the process worked so well that to make a process like this, where you really want to change, you would really like to have some personal transformation that would work for that because you you're just moving one time you can pick up the book and there's something actionable so i set up the first part to kind of walk through my personal story because the details will be different but it relates because so many of us understand what it feels like uh-huh. to be left out or not included and, and it's not really just that it happens occasionally we begin to notice that this is happening a lot. And then some of us feel like, well, it must be us. So what does a person do when they feel like they're not, not adequate or they're not included or uh, someone is hateful to them? They shrink back. And so that, that's what I began to do. And um, as I mentioned before, some things in my life just amplified the situation until I I was living the American dream. Uh, honestly, I, I was living the American dream. I'm married to a physician. We have we have everything we could ever want. I have a couple of beautiful kids and a and a dog, you know. And I I wanted out. I, I not physically, uh, not yeah, not yeah. physically, but I I was so desperate to not be. I wanted just to be a, considered a person, you know, a regular person. And I wanted out, and I didn't know what else to do. And so you know. I grew up in the church, and but I had this understanding of God. There's this song, Jesus loves little children, all the children of the world. I just felt like God was this huge, you know, being in the heavens who just kind of looked down and he had to love me because I was his hmm. child. It was his creation. And so, it, but it wasn't personal. You know? Good point. It was just,
0: I see it that. It was just,
2: you know, very broad and very gentle. So when I prayed, that's kind of how... I Uh pray as this being just so far away that he wasn't interested in me, not not me in my frailty, you know, and hanging on the wallpaper. And so it's hard to believe that God really cares about you as a person and will answer your prayer and will listen to you and has a plan for your life when you see God as a being that's not really connected to you. And so that's where that's where I was. But even though I I believed that, and that's that's what I saw um, in in my mind, um, I didn't know what else to do. So I came to sort of a critical mass point where I just felt like the problem was me, and I couldn't get out of it. I I, I couldn't I couldn't make any progress or or get out. And I just I just prayed. I just Lord, I don't hmm. I don't even know what the problem is, but but I I don't know what to do. My to my husband was also not only was he, you know, the star student and the brilliant doctor, he was also a preacher. So he had like a <laughs> Bible degree. So, I mean, I can't I don't have anything. You know, I I am just wallowing in my own nothingness, you know, and so I, I can't talk to anybody about it. So I just prayed. Honestly, I just prayed and, and and didn't know what to do. But I thought, OK, well, if I'm just out to be the average person, you know, if I'm just going to try to be average because nobody can take that away from me um what's an average christian girl doing because that's kind of the mold i'm trying to get into is what 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 does a good christian girl do and all the good christian girls i knew went to bible study hmm. so i signed up for one after work <laughs> so there were about five of us in the library at some church and and it's the day when uh vi- they started doing video bible studies and so uh there there was this tv on a cart, you know and everybody's just kind of staring <laughs> at this woman and I just, I, there was something about it. Number one, that person knew a God that I didn't know. Mm. And I, I was mesmerized. I mean, the first moment and I thought, how do you, how do you even know if that's real? You know? And so, um, I thought, well, I, I, I haven't even read the Bible, you know, <laughs> I've read part of it, but I don't even know what it all says. So, um, I took myself to a bookstore, uh, back when they, we had those and, um, I bought something that was called like a one year Bible and where you could read through the whole thing in 15 minutes a day, starting and stopping places. And I thought, you know what? This is what I need. Something to get me on a schedule. And I mean, how do I say that I believe something if I don't even actually know what it says? So that that was sort of that part. And, you know, the. Uh, I tried to do that for about nine years. <laughs> so oh my goodness! I, I, was, I was never successful at getting all the way through it on the right days at the right time. But you know what? It was a failing forward because what it showed me was I was I was so wrong. I was dead wrong yeah. about who God was and how he saw people. And I didn't know it because I hadn't read it. And so even though i had been in church all my life, I. I didn't internalize those things as personal. Like he would be good to you, but not necessarily to me mm-hmm. because I'm the girl stuck in the corner. You know, and and through that process, I began to understand that there were some things in my life that just weren't true, that I had taken upon myself and believed that just weren't true. And and I think that was probably a, a tipping point for me in in moving forward and recognizing, and it took it took quite a while. And that's the importance of the book. The book is. Not just going to be a, a story about my journey. It's just like three chapters in the book. But what oh the book goodness. does, it saves you so much time and so much energy and so many failures that I experienced along the journey because there's things that I learned. And, and what what I found was not only does God care about you as a person and know you intimately as an individual, but the Bible talks about things like this. And now it's not going to say, no, this is how you get along with your friends. This is These are the ones you need to bring in close. And these are the ones you need to keep out. Nothing like that. But there, there is a real practical book in the Bible uh, called James. And James is very practical. And what I did was I just wrote down all of the things that I thought a person, that what I had gone through and what a person who wanted to not stay in the same emotional state, even though their circumstances don't change. My circumstances did not change. I did. And so I wanted to see how... What do you do? What do you do if you want out of your life that you can't go anywhere? You what you're saying is, I want to be different. I don't know how to do that. And I don't know what to what to to do tomorrow, but I want to be different. And how do I get there? So really, it's just it's a hope filled book that takes you one step at a time. And at the back of it, um, I included a personal plan. I, I call it a personal plan for becoming invincible. And it's not like, you know, you're physically invincible, but spiritually and emotionally, you can learn some things that make you invincible because I was not. So anyway, the, just the, the plan does that. So you don't have to do it with the day of the reading. It's all marked and laid out for you. So I, I would just go along and, and add like a not an activity necessarily, but something to draw out the thoughts because I, what you're saying earlier was your your mind is churning. You're already thinking about. And you're internalizing for your own personal walk. And that's what it does. So as I'm talking about something or I'm making a, 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 I'm giving a story or an illustration about something, that's what we do. We, we, uh-huh. we move it personal. We say, how does this apply to me? What, what's in it for me? And so I've tried to make that available and, and usable in the moment so that you don't have to wait and you don't have to keep all those ideas inside. You can jot something down and I can help move you to the next place.
0: What I think you're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, is that it really doesn't matter what type of personality we are. This mm-hmm. is a guide for everybody. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. We all have things that we need to address. Am I correct in that?
2: Yes, and it doesn't. It doesn't matter how old you are, or what your experiences have been in life, because what what we're learning is that um, these issues are are universal. There's not an age bracket that that doesn't, uh, I don't want to say suffer from it, but experience it. One thing that that I have noted, I purposefully wrote it in in easy chunks so you could read a page or two and be done for the day. And what I have been told over and over again is, Cherry, I couldn't put it down. And that's not really a testimony to I'm such a good writer or anything like that. Mm-hmm. What, it, what it communicates is this is a felt need. Oh, the person reading
0: point.
2: the book mm-hmm. is so... Uh, in tune with the issue she can't wait to find out more and and what to do about it because that that's this book is to move you from point a to point b without all the missteps and mistakes and slowdowns that i had to do it's just sort of supercharging your path forward because there is a path forward we just don't know what it is or how to get there and so that's that's what this is for so and then other other women have said and a lot of times they'll come up to me they'll say I'm reading your book <laughs> and I'm really relating to it and, and what they're and they're there. You can see their eyes. Their eyes are just kind of in their brain and, and they're going over some things. They don't really know what to say to me about it, but I know what they're thinking. They're thinking <laughs> about it. They're thinking about they need it and they know they're applying it and they're working through the process, but they're not there yet. Well, of course they're not. It's transformation. Real transformation takes time. What I'm providing is a path a pathway to get you from point A to point B, however long it takes you. I'm hopeful that it won't take you as long as it took me, but that you'll get there.
0: Now, on the top side of the show, I mentioned that you have helped over 700,000 women redefine their worth. Is that through your book, through your website? And by the way, I absolutely loved your book trailer. And I'm going I really want people to watch the trailer because I think that that really addresses in a nutshell everything that you want to say and they're going to want to buy the book or listen to that, correct?
2: I think so. I think it's a good a good introduction. It's about a minute and a half or so. Right. So it's real short, but it it's pointed you know, it, yes. it's, it's very effective. I write, like I said, I write for the Bible app. I, there's a, I have hundreds of thousands of people on, on Version who subscribe to the things that I, that I write on there. And then I'm speaking events and um, it's not the first book I've written. Uh, so this has been, I've been in this arena since about 2009. Mm. So that's, that's been a road filled with uh, lots of women um, who want to move to, from a to point b
0: now you mentioned U version a couple of times is that the mm-hmm. letter u or y-o-u and is that oh, an yes. app
2: yeah you can it's it's actually bible.com and bible.com is a website that has a sister app so instead of it being you know bible app it is U version as in y-o-u Version and it has an icon that says it's like a little brown Bible and it says Holy Bible on it. It's really easy to and it's free. There's oh, there's so many resources. Um, doesn't matter what language you speak or you know what you want to learn about. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a wonderful, wonderful free resource.
0: Now, in conclusion, what would you like to say to the audience?
2: What I would like them to know is that there's hope if you have felt left out. And as if you've been passed over there, there is hope. And what I want for that person is to the, for them to know that not not to quit, don't quit. You know, if you're at a place where like I was where you just want out of your life, but you don't really want to go anywhere, you just want out of that emotional state, you want to be a real person, then, you know, you might try praying. You might try just seeking God because he will uh-huh. be there. So don't, don't stop seeking that. Um, ask, ask God to fill that emptiness because he knows how to do it better than anyone else. That's what i found to be really, really, really resourceful for people because your spouse can't do it. Your friend can't do it. Your job's not going to do it. Your kids are not going to do it. There's a lot of things that we try that do, that do comfort, but they don't fill. They don't fill our, our inner being to where that we feel like we are, we are living a fulfilled, satisfied life. And that's a, that's a hole that only God can fill in you. So I would encourage you to, to seek that. Um, but you also need to make room to be visible because there is, when you walk through this process, you you go from feeling invisible to knowing you are visible and to living as if you're visible, but there's some things that going to, that are going to have to go. You got to make room to become visible. And that's going to differ for each person. But I go through several of those. There's a whole chapter on that of different caveats to that. And that I, I think we need to be willing to fail forward. You know, I, we none of us uh-huh. want to fail. Uh-huh. Some of us fail easier than others and get over it. I am not one of those people. I take it really hard <laughs> if, if I can't do something or I set a goal and I didn't meet it. And I think that that's common to a lot of women. And my encouragement is that Failing forward is the way to go. You know, so many people who have made it big, like Dyson, uh, other inventors, even, especially people who are creatives, they have to try over and over again. And there's, a, there's tons of failure in that in that creative process. And so if we approach our life the same way, if we try something and it didn't work, uh, you learn something from it, and take right. that and move to the next step. Okay, and, and try again or to change it a little bit. But my encouragement is fail, you're going to do. But failing forward is a choice. And so I would encourage you to fail forward, find out more about the topic, learn what you can, and, and allow yourself to change.
0: Well, you have definitely challenged each of us. And for that, I really thank you and appreciate it. And I thank you for being on Never, Never, ever give up hope
2: thank you so much carol appreciate it thank
1: you for listening to never ever give up hope featuring carol graham did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to quitting was never an option carol loves your comments and will respond to each one